Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Conrad alongside one of the toughest players that ever played against. I'll tell him I said that out loud. Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies and everyone's favorite MLS propagandist Hollywood Heath Pierce. And before we dive into our preview of the U.S. National Teams, big game against Uruguay on Sunday. And game kicks off at 5 p.m. Eastern. And before we do a quick look back at uh, anything that maybe has been sitting with us from the Morocco game, I want to announce the winner of our $100 Paramount Plus gift card, which we were offering up on Wednesday's recap show. And that person is... Drum roll. Oh, I got a drum. (laughs) Paul Nisley. Congratulations, Paul. Apparently, our producer has already been uh, contacting you with the details to redeem your prize. So enjoy all that live and on-demand content. Champions League, Europa League, Serie A, NWSL, NFL documentaries around the beautiful game, movies, series, South Park, Halo, the list goes on and on and on. Now, to all of you that didn't win, including Charlie and Heath, don't despair because today we're giving you another opportunity to win another $100 gift card to Paramount+. Plus. Yes, that is our boundless generosity that we have here. However, there's a catch. All you have to do is follow Pod on Twitter. And you got to let us know your Twitter handle in the comments, right? P plus hit us up on Twitter as well. Drop us a follow there, though. We're trying to build that community on multiple platforms, not only here on the YouTubes and any pod- podcast platform of your choice. And if you're not watching this live, then put it in the comments of this YouTube video, your Twitter handle plus P plus, and that will enter you to win as well. All right. I'm going to welcome in the boys. I just did that. But now let's actually hear their beautiful voices. Chuck, I'm going to come to you first. Let's talk about the Morocco game. Anything that's still sitting with you either positive or negative after you've had a couple days to sit with that result nothing negative whatsoever great wow. you know, i have I have nothing negative about this u.s men's national propagandist <laughs> literally there's nothing negative <laughs> i would say i'm i'm really intrigued with with certain players you know and, and haji Wright being one of them yes um seeing brand aronson move which means I think Greg Berhalter's thinking of of players can can be in different positions than what we've seen them in, which okay. is I, I think shows flexibility and a willing a willingness to work with players that you have and trying them out in different places to see if maybe there is a way that Brandon Aronson can play central, which means maybe there is a way that Gio Reyna can play central and just right. being able to to adapt. Uh, the center back pairing, 
I think Aaron Long, um, you know, he he didn't, I, I'd say he didn't win the position, but he didn't lose the position with that with that performance. Mm-hmm. So maybe it, I'd like to see Eric Palmer Brown. What does he look like? You know, maybe Cameron so, so Vickers from, I got from some the start. Inside, I legitimate got some inside information that, that Eric Palmer Brown will get 45 minutes against Uruguay. I don't know if he's starting. Beautiful. Or if he's coming in the second half, like Cameron Carter-Vickers did, but I got on on some very good info that that uh, Eric Palmer Brown will get to play some significant Man, minutes. That feels like uh that feels like not a lot of time to be honest with you. Hopefully, it's the starting minutes because I feel like you get the more of the flow of a game in that Agreed. time. Because I agree with Charlie. Like I, I'd actually like to see like okay, you know what you got from Walker. Let's use this one to get Aaron Long in and have him be next to. Eric Palmer Brown or Eric Palmer Brown next to Cameron Carter Vickers, not necessarily Cameron Carter Vickers and, and, and Eric Palmer Brown, just because I think there's too a many, lack too of many names. Yeah. Too many hyphenated too many, names. Too many hyphenated names. Uh, but, but if you had Aaron Long, who's got more experience next to those two who could, who could rotate, you're going to get a full look at Aaron Long, which I think hopefully after that, you can say, okay, this is wide open. Yeah, still, or yes, or right. Some, yes, yeah. Or no. yeah, yeah I just think, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then have the other two next to it say, are, who's, who's my number three center back? Who's my number four? Or who's my potential number two if Aaron Long can't get it done? Uh, but I, I think I've seen enough of, of, uh, of uh, Walker Zimmerman in terms of what our needs are, what we need to get out of this game for what, sure. What, what I would say to you, though, the argument for that is one, I don't want to see two center backs who aren't going to play together, right? So if you played Cameron Carter Vickers with Eric Promo Brown, if that's or not something Aaron, you're going to go Aaron with, Long, right? don't yeah. do it, right? They're, they're never going to play together. But my my problem is it, with that, and I fully agree, because they're never going to play together, and it's and they're not on the same page yet, so it's going to be a much harder thing to see yes. a performance. My problem is that we have a finite amount of minutes, and so you can either have that person be next to him and, and split him up 45, 45, 45, and just get these small sample sizes, or can we get a run of these players to actually see them go through the ebb and flow of a 90 minutes? Because you're also going to need that player to play 90 minutes versus 45, against the team 100% and then I'd say that's what you have training for you have these these partnerships and training in these inner squads where Greg Barlton go ah, that works or that doesn't look well and I'm not even going to attempt to play them together a- against Uruguay so I would like to see Walker Zimmerman and Anthony Robinson and I, I think the right back right now well they both still- came off at halftime by the way Walker and Anthony Robinson right. So I, I assume that's to save them to start in this particular game against Uruguay. Yeah. But keep going. And, and the and the right, I think it, that can be Yedlin, that can be Cannon, that can, because Dest is going to be that position anyway. So it really doesn't matter who I think is playing because. So are we th- in agreement then, Charlie? That we're we're and, and and Jimmy that we're using what probably feels like first forty five to play your best team and get the run out and the reps you need. Second forty-five yes. is to get your tryouts in, like to, to get your yeah, tryout you, players. You need to because yeah. these these games are are not they shouldn't be looked at as as trial trialless games. You know, th- these are games where you're playing World Cup competition because you don't have too many games left, and you you have to use these as a, as a, a measuring stick. And, and this game in particular, Uruguay, because Uruguay have qualified for the last four World Cups, they've got world class players. When we play Granada and El Salvador, with all due respect to them, that's not going to be the same type of challenge. It'll challenge us in different ways, sitting in a low block, learning how to break that down, which we might run into at some point in the group stages of the World Cup. But And I don't know who we're getting yet in, in uh, the September open window. It looks like maybe Japan. It looks like there might be some some opportunities there to, to play against. Uh, I read Qatar team. also. Qatar, Japan. So, so we're going to get something in that September window, but this next two. So this game is really, really important. 
And, and I guess the big challenge for the coaching staff, to your point, Charlie and Heath, is do we want to use these minutes to evaluate or do we want to use these minutes to strengthen the guys that, uh, that are already kind of in the team and we want to see them under more duress, under more a little pressure bit of against both. the world class? Right, right. So we're trying to find that perfect, perfect match. And so it looks like 45 and 45 is kind of what we're trying to do. Now, I'm going to go really briefly to the Morocco game. When I went back and watched, not all of it, but I watched some parts of it, I didn't really recognize how much diversity we had in the attack in terms of who is popping up in different spaces. Well, I saw Timo, when he picked up the ball and scored, Timo Wea, he's central. It's not like he went out wide and mm-hmm. came in. He was starting centrally. And I saw him combine a couple of times. I'm like, yo, I wasn't really paying attention to that. Obviously, we're watching a whole bunch of different things. But when you get to watch it back again, Brendan Aronson's obviously popping up in the middle because that's where he started. Pulisic is there. We, we, we mixed up how we were attacking. Sometimes we went wide. Sometimes we went over the top, which led to the first goal. And I really liked that we had these options and that guys were committing themselves to get in those spaces to make it happen. On the defensive side, though, and maybe my, my slightly negative is once Morocco switched the point of attack, we did not do a very good job of transitioning to slow that down. It felt like we were walking into oh shit moments and Matt Turner making Matt Turner actually made some saves where he parried balls that weren't good rebounds, right? For the other team, he was getting them out of danger. And I thought he did that uh, pretty well in a couple saves. And then, and then if they broke our press again, we fall into those oh shit moments. So, so that made me a little bit nervous because Morocco did have a bit of the run of play there for about 15 mm-hmm. to 20 minutes in the first half. That could have been different had they scored one of those. Now, that you, said, I thought you, we outlasted them. They looked tired. I didn't know before the game, we did our preview, that Morocco was only showing up two days before. That That is going to be tough for anybody. Uh, hey, so, I showed so, up I showed up from Paris a couple days ago and did a workout, Jimmy, when I, the day after I got home. <laughs> yeah. I was, I mean, I also wasn't exactly treating my body like a temple on the trip, but, like, I was dying. And then I remembered, like, do you guys remember when you used to get off the plane and have, like, a region, but the next day you were still just, like, cloudy? with like all the jet lag and things like that, of just how hard that is to play in a game when your body's on a completely different track. I mean, it is a legitimate thing for, for anybody who, who isn't my aware. First, like it is, my first yeah. trial with Ajax was <laughs> literally off the plane. Here you go. And I'm like, man, I go from college to, to come off the plane <laughs> and playing, playing with these Ajax reserves. Okay. Yeah, right. Um, Jimmy, how would you assess Matt Turner's ability to play out of the back? With I, thought feet? His feet, I thought his feet were very good. I thought that uh, maybe once or twice it felt like he was forcing it because I'm sure that's what Greg wants to see out of him or he's feeling like that's what Greg wants to see out of him. It worked out, but maybe a couple of them were a little bit too close for comfort. But at least he took touches instead of like what we would have thought in our mind was that every time you lay it back, he's dumping it long. We're going to move our lines forward. At least he brought the ball down, looked for options more often than I would have actually expected to. So I I, I was actually impressed with it. Charlie, what was your take? Yeah, I, I thought he did really well because he was trying to play out of the back. That He was not going to just send it long. He was trying to find the right player, the right option. And then the second goal, that led to the buildup to the eventual goal. Uh, so I like that he was – in that second sequence, he had to basically put a, a, a ball in the tightest of windows, zero error for uh, – zero margins for error, and he gets it through. I I thought there was a lot of, of of progress made with Matt Turner playing with his feet. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has a ways to go, but uh, we also don't want our keepers to to, to be like Pirlo here. <laughs> so yeah, right, right. I mean, it's it's again, it's finding that balance of right. when it is time to hit it long. My only, my only, and even when I coach, and I'm sure you guys do the same thing, 
if we're making the decision as a group and you can sense that the goalkeeper or a center back is going to hit the ball long, then we all have to be moving together to kind of go win that second ball. And our team shape's got to be uh, it kind of lockstep. My concern is sometimes you have a goalkeeper <laughs> hit it long. Yeah, these comments just are got, killing me. Yeah, we got a lot of Jimmy just got attacked, by the way, for saying that uh, Matt Turner should have caught them instead of pairing him. By the way, I agree with you, though, Jimmy. I'll stand up for you on this one. He parried those wide of danger, and we've seen Couple guys times. try to catch stuff. And that's sure. where the rebounds happen, where they had three players sitting on the goal line ready, ready to pounce on uh, Listen, someone trying to catch. I, I'm not ready that. to nitpick Matt Turner for, for that performance. So may, maybe other times I'd nitpick him the game against Canada. He's already raised his hand and said he could have done a little bit better in a couple of those plays when we were in Canada and we lost. But outside of that, I think he's been pretty solid. And that's what you want out of a goalkeeper is that consistency. So it's the same thing. And what I was going to finish the thought was, after everybody's attacking me in the comments, was that if you're going to hit it long, that's fine. But everybody's got to move in together. You can't have five guys expecting to go long and the other five guys dropping off because then it creates big gaps. And that's where we can get really punished in transition. All right, let's move forward then and look at Uruguay. I'll give you guys some fun facts about Uruguay. They have qualified for its 14th World Cup, and this is their fourth in a row, as I mentioned before. Uh, they have the third most World Cup appearances among Bowl nations, which is the governing body for South America, only behind Brazil and Argentina. Uh, they are one of only four countries to reach the knockout stage at each of the previous three World Cups. Can you guys name the other three? Yeah, maybe not on the, on the spot. Okay, fine. Argentina, yeah, I, Brazil, I, I, and oh, Mexico. I, I could have done it. I could have done it. How about that? So Uruguay's uh, 2022 World Cup group stage is Group H. They have South Korea. They have Portugal. And they have Ghana, which mm -hmm. uh, they got some work to do in that one. Diego Alonso is four wins out of four since he was hired as a head coach in December, replacing longtime legend Oscar Tabarez, who had been the head coach since 2006, by the way. And uh, they got Darwin Nunez in their team. Didn't start against Mexico. We're going to talk about this game they played last night. He probably will start against us. Uh, Edinson Cavani started against Mexico, scored two very good goals. And uh, they got Fede Valverde. They got some excellent players. Now, just quickly, if we can, about Mexico. Just, just, just throwing this out there as a U U.S. soccer, you know, uh, channel here. Propagandist. Yes. In, in the past calendar year. Mexico has played nine games against countries that have qualified for the World Cup. In those games, Mexico, are you listening? You've won just once. You've drawn twice and lost six times. Three times to the U.S., once to Canada, once to Ecuador, and now to Uruguay. And for everybody that didn't see the Mexico-Uruguay game, they gave up a goal, the first one on a set piece. I think that's one of Mexico's biggest weaknesses. They got to get that figured out. The second one, they gave up 14 seconds after kickoff in the second half. And Palestri, the number eight, who's oh, out wide. That was a magical Uruguay. run from him. Dude, the guy's ridiculous. And I think that's an area that we, him versus Anthony Robinson, is going to be another one. He had Akimi last game against Morocco. Now he's got Palestri. Going to be a real test of his discipline on defensive side of the ball. And then uh, then what happens is if you beat that, that left-sided defender, Cavani, Darwin Nunez are so good at finding space in the box. And, uh, I mean, the second... That was the second goal. Basically, Palestri went down, beat the left back. Everybody slid over. It goes to Cavani. He, he slots at home. And then almost a, a carbon copy of it eight minutes later to make it 3-0. Mexico never really in this game. Fans are chanting Chicharito, Chicharito. He hasn't been with the team since 2019. Uh, I don't know. I don't. We don't have to go too far into the slander of Mexico right now. But they didn't look very good. And they're going to have some work to do. Tata Martinez got a lot of work. But Uruguay and Diego Alonso, the coach, said afterwards, it's not that Mexico played badly. We were just great. So I don't know how many of these guys are going to be starting, but I think it's going to be 
a good team. And I think we're going to see a lot of these guys, at least for the first 45 minutes. I want to see Darwin Nunez against our center backs. Heath, I'll come to you first. I don't know if you saw any highlights or watched any part of this game, but Uruguay looked up for it and they've got some players. And I think it's going to test us in a lot of good ways. Yeah, and what what I like is is the weaknesses we saw from the U.S. and the team that we put out defensively in transition a couple times where we were vulnerable is exactly what Uruguay are really good at. When they attack, they attack with numbers, four or five players. They get into the box. They have the ability to make that final pass. It's not just sort of a Hail Mary into the box or throw it into the mixer and hope for what happens. They have that ultimate quality that will punish you, right? When you get to a World Cup, one, two, three, four passes in and around the goal and you're, you're facing opponents that can, that can beat you with that. And so I like... The matchup of that, I like the fact that the U.S. hasn't played against a conmable opponent in a couple of years now. It's a different type of look, a different type of style. Uh, but ultimately, if you look at the goals that they scored, there's just numbers in and around the box. They attack with some real uh, just uh, purpose uh, of, 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 of that vulnerability. Now, on the transitional side, I think that's also good for the U.S. to try to be able to play through and play out of that. And so I like this matchup. I like the way the form that they're in. I like... The, the the ideas that, that Uruguay had. I like the fact that Cavani is a striker that we haven't faced, a world-class striker that we haven't faced, or at one point was a world-class striker, was obviously world-class against Mexico again. Uh, and so overall, the matchup is another look that the more I think about it, the more excited I am to just move away from the vicious cycle of CONCACAF that we were stuck in of playing qualifying points home away, but actually now looking at how you actually match up in a football match with another nation. And I think... Uruguay are going to be a significant test for, for the squad. Okay, so Charlie, I'm going to give you a couple things to sink your teeth into. Give it the to first me. one is the U.S. is unbeaten in 24 straight home games, which is the second longest streak in team history, last losing 3-0 to Mexico in a September 2019 friendly. Now, the only meeting that they've had with Uruguay in the last 20 years was a 1-1 draw in St. Louis in September 2019. Jordan Morris scored in that one. And Brian Rodriguez scored for Uruguay. U.S. has not played a Comey Bowl team since that game. And that's a bit surprising because I feel like that's an area of the world that obviously produces some incredible players. It's a bit of a shame that we don't play more South American teams. I, I agree. I mean, I look back to when, when when I was coming up to the national team, you know, there was games against Brazil. We were in Copa America. You know, you, you felt like you were always playing against some of the stronger opponents of South America. And the, the experience, the, the value of that experience was, was massive because of that style of play. It forces you to understand how to adapt, what's, how, how do you beat teams like this, what's important in the game, because typically they're going to outpossess you. So it's about you know the counterattack. It's also about sometimes trying to keep possession, trying to get them to chase because that – you need to catch your breath from from chasing the whole game and sitting back. So these are the type of games I want to see. And Uruguay is a strong opponent because you're talking about in, as individuals, this team is loaded. I think as a group, they're still, I, I wouldn't say they're yet at the top, but they're just below. And this is a group that could make a lot of noise in the World Cup. But um Man, I'm looking at some of the the potential 1v1 situations, center forward, also for us, the center back center forward going against these two mm -hmm. accomplished center backs with a with a really uh tenacious defensive midfielder. The the areas to come and check back 
they're not going to be as as open. It's going to be a lot tougher, a lot physical. So you have to be able to run the channels. You have to be able to create space for yourself. So I'm I'm pumped for this game. So what I'll say really quick, and Heath, I want to get to your starting lineup for the U.S. because obviously we're not we don't know exactly who's going to line up for for Uruguay. Obviously they. Uh, just played last night, so I expect there to be some changes, but I don't think they're going to run into the Morocco issue of just showing up 48 hours before the game and are not settled. This game against Mexico was in Phoenix. This game against the U.S. is in Kansas City. It's going to be hot and humid, especially on a Sunday in the middle of the day, or uh, I guess it's evening time for them, 4 p.m. local time. But it's still, I've been there. I played there for eight years in Kansas City. I know what those games look like, and they're a bit of a slog. But what I really appreciated about how Uruguay played against Mexico was how quickly they make their decisions. They don't really dawdle on the ball. They're very good at, hey, we're going to speed this up because we can recognize there's a numerical advantage, Palestri in particular on the right side, which again, I think is going to be a big challenge for Robinson and anybody else that's sliding over, Tyler Adams, uh, et cetera, to, to help slow him down. And then, and then also, I think that when they... Oh God, what I really love is just how they swarm the ball. They're just so organized. They play a 4-1-4-1 formation, but their midfield is Vecino, Valverde, and Lucas Torreira. And that midfield is kind of similar to ours. I feel like very hardworking and, and they have a little bit of quality to hurt you. And we just lost Heath Pierce. So Charlie, I'm going to come back to, yeah. to you in this, but, but <laughs> given what we've seen and Godin didn't start, obviously he's no. one of the most cap players in Uruguayan history. I think he will start against the U S I think we're going to see Darwin Nunez start against the U S and Edinson Cavani will be the super sub, but you have De La Cruz on the left side. You got Palestri on the right, who I think might hopefully I want them. Listen to the thing. I want Uruguay's best team. I really do. I want to see us play our no best doubt. team against their best team. And that's how we're going to look. Araujo played it right back, plays for Barcelona. I think Jimenez plays for Atleti with Godin. They have a history Quartes. of playing with Atleti together. Yeah, they got so many good players, man. So so it's going to be interesting. Oh, and Heath's back. Hi, He's Heath. Back. Welcome back. So, so <laughs> I went me. to look at another page, guys. I went to open another page and actually hit refresh on this one and uh, got kicked out. Sure. <laughs> sure, Probably sure. So, so. So starting sure. lineup then, Heath Pierce. Let's, let's get your starting lineup. Charlie, we'll go to you after that, and then I'll give you mine. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with the same uh same back same four team. minus Aaron Long. Um mm. so same back three. Um and minus Aaron Long and and from there is Turner and goal again? Yeah, I got Turner and goal again. I'm so I'm, Turner's I'm, goal. So wait, yeah. You go with I'm, the back three? Because Mexico tried a back three, it didn't work very well. Are you saying something? No, no, I'm saying sorry. Long. No, I'm 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 just taking Aaron Long out. And I'm yeah. kind of stuck between obviously Cameron Carter Vickers and 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 getting a, a larger sample size of him. Uh but I think or, we'll go Eric Palmer Brown. I think Eric okay. Palmer Brown with Walker Zimmerman. I think Charlie had a great point earlier of just sort of using that time to have your best team on the field and you can make those six changes that we know. You talked about him getting 45 minutes for sure. Hopefully it's in the starting 45 because I think that's just a, a more of a valid validator. But it also a little bit weird that he didn't get more time in the last game, so why would he get the start here or does Cam and Carter Vickers move into that starting part? Not What about what that. about what about Joe Scally, DeAndre Yedlin instead of Reggie Cannon? I mean No, wanna... I think I think Reggie Cannon needs uh, again, the, the US built out and and played a lot in a weird sort of three back on the ball which prevented Cannon from really getting into the attack that much, maybe once or twice he got forward, but was mostly used as a, in a, in a oddly a, a three back system. A lot of the time, I'd like to see him contribute a little bit more going forward. Uh, if they play a little bit more of a traditional back four. So I'm going to give him another run again. Yedlin is the one that I don't need to know, right? When mm -hmm. I think about Walker Zimmerman, except Yedlin, I know is not, is probably not going to play. Um, and it's a toss up whether him or Cannon go to the world cup, knowing that Dest is going to be the number one. So, so for now I'm thinking, 
get to see much, more of Cannon. I want to see more of Cannon just because okay. we haven't actually seen a ton of Cannon in, right. in scenarios other than like sort of fill in scenarios. Which which we could argue is, isn't bad because Anthony likes the bomb. Like he legitimately likes the bomb forward. One of the things that you noted after the Morocco game was that when Brendan Aronson scored the first one, you know who was right next to him was Anthony Robinson. We're all like, what is he doing up there? It's a long ball to Pulisic. Why is Anthony Robinson so far up the field? But because Reggie Cannon can has a little bit more of those defensive instincts, uh, I don't think that's a, that's a bad yeah. thing. All right, keep going. It's, just, keep it's going. also just crazy to think that if Charlie got into that position where Pulisic was, I think he would have shot and not passed. But that's a conversation <laughs> for another day because he's a ruthless, <laughs> he's a bona fide killer. You there. are 100% right yeah yeah <laughs> he wouldn't have gone for that fifa goal you know draw well, the goalie what, and the defender out that, once you bring it down that next touch is a shot that yeah totally <laughs> shot. yeah exactly uh so my my midfield i'm gonna go with this the the same midfield i i'd actually be okay only because of the fact that i think we can still get more out of brendan aronson i want to see that again because we saw brendan aronson before where he's okay in one game and then he kind of drifts off against the Dude, let's start Wesley mckinney this one Man, that's play him 45. First 45? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Why, while Heath and Charlie are hemming and hawing over their starting 11s, let us know what your starting 11 is in the comments right now or hit us up on Twitter, ISWT pod, if you're listening to this later and not live on your favorite podcast platform. Okay, Heath, keep going. Okay. So then, I mean, I just don't see where I fit. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Brendan Aronson still in that in that ten spot, just because I like the way that he linked up going forward. Maybe I switch Weston McKinney with Eunice Musa, even though he was potentially my player of the match. So Weston, Tyler, and and um, and uh, Brendan Aronson, and then I'm going to go with the uh, up top. I want to see uh, Haji Wright, and then we'll go with the same two wingers with Pulisic and and uh, Timoya. Okay, and Chuck. What are you saying? Any changes? Like what's uh, what? Yeah, what's your vibe overall? What are you going with? My vibe is is you you play like this is a, a World Cup game, so you're going with your your best eleven again. And I think Weston McKinney will be ready for forty five. And if that's the case, you give him the first forty five. So mm -hmm. Turner, Robinson, Eric Palmer, Brown, Zimmerman, Cannon. Now you've seen Long in forty five minutes. You've seen Cameron Carter-Vickers. Now I think Eric Palmer-Brown, he gets his chance. Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. Well, that's not like I, playing like a World Cup game then if you're just giving a chance <laughs> on Eric Palmer-Brown. Well, you, you, have to give, you have to give one chance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you could easily yeah. go long again in 45 minutes for, for Eric Palmer-Brown. But it'll be telling. If Aaron Long starts... He's given you, Aaron Long you, you, every opportunity. He loves fail. Aaron Long. He though, loves guys. Aaron Long. I think, right. so, yeah. Well, that, that'll, that, that'll be the signal for all of us to know. If Aaron Long starts again, that's the plan, that he will be the partner with Zimmerman, um, given that there's no injuries. Then Tyler Adams, Musa, and McKinney are going to go back to the midfield three. Pulisic, Haji Wright, and Wea. Wait, tell me your midfield again. I was spacing out. <laughs> Adams, Musa, and McKinney. So you and take Aronson out. Aronson's yeah. super sub. Yeah. Wow. Okay, okay. So I'll go quickly. I got the same as you guys. I, I think that Greg is going to go with Aaron Long. I really do. But I hope that he goes with Eric Palmer-Brown instead. And uh, I wouldn't mind seeing EPB 
because he only played it right back against Mexico, we were trying to hold on to that lead in, in Mexico City. I want to see him in his best position. He's been doing very well with Twan, and, and uh, he should be rewarded for that good form. So I want to see him actually start the game to what Heath said before. That's when everybody's sharp and got the energy, and, and that matchup against Darwin Nunez or Cavani is, is going to be a nice test for our center backs, especially as they try to organize everything else that's in front of them. In terms wait, of wait, wait, Before you even go there, talk about, as a center back, going into a game at half. Like, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's better to go in at half than the 60th minute. And I know I was saying that prior to the Morocco game that I kind of wanted to see our starting 11 get another 10 or 15 minutes after halftime because you get information from the coach and I want to see which players can actually take that information and apply it. But if you start making changes at halftime, it changes the complexion and vibe of the team and whatever. But from the player perspective, it's better to start kind of clean whether uh, with a kickoff, right? And everybody's kind of on the same page and you're not trying to insert yourself into the flow of a game. That's a little bit harder. I would say that, uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm Eric Palmer Brown, I'd rather come, I'd rather start the game than come in at halftime. But there is an advantage of sitting on the bench and kind of identifying what Uruguay is doing and seeing how Nunez or Cavani or whoever it is is trying to create space. Are they trying to get in behind? They're checking back. Obviously, they're going to probably do both. But but you can you're taking notes ultimately on what the guys are doing or not doing well, and, and taking it from there. So I, I I don't know I could build a narrative around either. But I I would prefer to start the game. Eric Palmer Brown, Kansas City kid, came through Sporting Kansas City. Be kind of cool from that side as well. That's my heart speaking for him to start this game, and I I know that he'll do well if he gets the opportunity. Now with my midfields, I'm with Heath a little bit that I'd like to see Aronson start again in that space because I do think him versus Luca Torreira would be a really incredible matchup to see because that guy's a pit bull just to see how he pulls them around in different spaces. Does that create, because even if Aronson doesn't get the ball, but he's pulling Torreira out of that space, that's going to open up pockets for Pulisic, which I thought we did pretty well against Morocco to go get in those areas. Team away when he's coming centrally as well. And I think that that, that dynamic movement from Aronson. Also the pressing game with Aronson on the field. I think it's different. Um, Agreed. But so, so my question is maybe you don't start Musa. And you go with McKenney and you see, you just see what that looks like. If you're only going to commit 45 I, I, minutes I was, anyway. I was committed to that idea until I watched them play in this last match. I'm like, I can't see him not, not being but, a starter on this. But group. then you only got, then you only got like, I, I between know. MM, MMA is hard because they're oh really good gosh. defensively. I, I they're really good in a block, but we haven't been particularly good going forward with the three of them. Uh, no. You know, obviously Musa has been really good at advancing the ball forward and changing the point of attack for us and things like that. But as a group, and the X Factor that Weston McKinney brings, but as a rhythm of getting the most out of the team and in the attack and winning the ball in good spots on the field, I feel like it was pretty good. Granted, the caveat, we're playing a different opponent from a different region than what CONCACAF is, which is a complete crapshoot. Yeah, okay, sorry. I thought you were going to keep going on that. So so I actually will, I think we're all going to have three different midfields. And I only say this because I think it's opponent-based. Because when I look at Uruguay and who they started the last game, you got Terrain and Val- Valverde. Now, Valverde can run. But he's not going to – he can hurt you. He can run, you know, through midfield and break the lines. And I know he had the cross of Vinicius in the Champions League, which was more of a shot than a cross. But but he can still do some stuff. But he he's more about covering ground and making it difficult to play against. I think that might be an opportunity for us to not have to have two defensive-minded guys. Not that Musa is completely defensive. But maybe you can take a risk and see what Aronson and McKinney look like knowing that. And so, again, it's the same kind of question mark I had for the Morocco game. Will Aronson and McKinney, can they coexist in the same space? So they're going to be looking for the ball in the same areas. And now that you add Pulisic into the equation, 
can they all now exist? Now, obviously, all tremendous players, but there's still got to be some some understanding and rapport between those three to really make it work. But we have to give that a shot. So why not this game? So at least 45 minutes, I want to commit to that. Up top, Pulisic, Haji Wright, Timo Weah. Jimmy, wait, what was your midfield three again? I liked I like Aronson, McKinney, and Adams. It feels a little bit more yeah, attack-minded. And, and one of them, Aronson's got to play a little higher. So McKinney's going to have to bring a little bit more defensive discipline. If you're saying, hey, it's it's if Greg's now like, hey, Moose is playing well, you got these other options that you're starting to look at essentially, this is all good problems to have, then you're going to have to ask Weston to do a little bit more. He can still go at times, and we want him to go at times. That's when he's his most at, at his most dangerous. But but there has to be a little bit of, hey, at times we just need to just sit and just block passing lanes and just be hard to play against. Not 90 minutes, but but just every once in a while so that he's not – he's got to stay connected with the rest of the group. Otherwise – they're going to play through us, so that'll be difficult. Anybody have anything on that, or what are we saying? Any thoughts, comments? Yeah, I mean, my, my only thought is that, again, I like what I liked about Aronson and, and, uh, and Musa together is that it, Musa was actually higher up the field a lot of times, but knowing that there is a transition game when we lost it, that Aronson was going to be the first to press or Musa was going to be, it just felt pretty predictable. Again, different opponent, different type of game, different magnitude of the game. So I don't want to, I, I guess I want to see it again. So. Okay. No, that's fair. And I'm excited to see who Greg rolls out. Obviously, a lot of questions and hopefully we get some answers very, very soon. All right, everybody, we're going to take our first and only break up in soccer. We trust. But when we come back, we'll have final thoughts, of course. But we're going to preview Wales versus Ukraine, which is also happening on Sunday. And the winner of that is our first opponent in the World Cup. So it's obviously a game we should all be paying attention to. All right, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger and don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, everybody, to In Soccer. We trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad wearing a visor from the old school days, the old school U.S. soccer logo i'm here with charlie davies and heath pierce and uh i thought we gave you a pretty good uh preview of the uruguay game that game is kicking off again 5 p.m eastern on sunday another big game happening wales versus ukraine but before we get into that we're giving away a paramount plus gift card worth a hundred dollars 
We already had one winner. We're going to give you another one today. So this is what you got to do. You have to put your Twitter handle in the comments section, whether you're doing it live right now and P plus, you got to put P plus. And if you're listening to this later, go to their YouTube channel make sure you hit like and subscribe when you're over there and just drop it in the comments, drop your Twitter handle and P plus. Also, there's one extra step. You got to hit uh, follow on ISWT pod on the Twitter, trying to grow that community. We want to be awesome on all platforms. And I think you guys want that too. So we can keep giving you the goods three times a week, maybe even more if our community continues to grow. We'll just throw it out there. The people want more of the good stuff that me, Charlie, and Heath provide. All right, let's talk Wales versus Ukraine. Heath, I'm going to come to you first. I guess the simple question is, which team do you want the U.S. to face first in the World Cup? Is it the Welsh or is it the Ukrainians? Uh, probably the Welsh. You know, I uh, prior to our preview uh, or predictions of Scotland, where I was sort of talked myself into Hamden Park and the difficulty to play there. You look at Ukraine and the, the way in which they play, plus the momentum they have of just being the Ukraine national team and everything that they've gone through. It's kind of one of those shots in the dark, but they have that team of destiny uh, to them. And and so as I look at that in, in, in I guess, a, a summarized way, I would rather play Wales. I'd rather play Wales because of the players that they have, the way in which the U.S. would match up with them physically, the way in which... Yeah, just the style of play, whereas Ukraine has a little bit of special sauce and and they have some good players. So ultimately, I'd rather play Wales. Okay, now, Charlie, as I throw to you, I just want to add the comment of, I feel like had it been Scotland, had it been Wales, there's a bit of arrogance that they just think they're better than the U.S. Right. And there's like there's some entitlement there. If we played against Ukraine... I don't know if that entitlement's going to be there. They're just going to be so thrilled oh, no. that they're representing they're... their country at the World Cup. It doesn't even actually matter for Ukraine who the opponent is. They're just going to go no, out there and doesn't. give everything that they possibly have. House money. Yeah. Because they're 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 playing for something bigger than themselves. And and when you think about vibes, that's not a vibe we necessarily want to go with heading into that no, one. So I kind of want not. Wales to win, even but, though I, but, I'm, I'm secretly pulling for Ukraine. Yeah, I, 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 want, cool story. I want Ukraine I to win. In our group. I want Ukraine to win just because of what it would mean to them and to the people and to the world and bringing people together. But that would be the most difficult opponent for the U.S. Because Ukraine, they are talented, one. But two, the emotion that they're going to be playing with. When you're playing with so much pride for and, and also knowing that you're trying to inspire your whole country, knowing that really your whole country is looking to you for hope you play with a whole nother attitude and you don't get tired and you push through things and you're you're willing to commit and do you know make those runs that you probably wouldn't a year ago or two years ago you know they're they're <laughs> they're going to be a problem if they, and especially if they beat wales the amount of confidence they're going to be coming into uh the world cup with whew. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I will add that Ukraine actually have not lost in World Cup qualifying. In their group, they finished second. They had two wins and six draws, and they just beat Scotland. So they're currently undefeated in World Cup qualifying, which really, I think, speaks to the character of the team and, and their, their ability to, to get results no matter what the situation, which I think actually lends itself to go getting a result in, uh, in Wales for Sunday's game. Now, Heath, when speaking about Wales, though, very similar to Scotland, they got the home game. They have the crowd behind them. They haven't qualified for a World Cup since 1958, which includes some of the best players, at least to play in the Premier League. Ryan Giggs, in, in probably the number one there. Ian Rush, another Welsh, never played in a World Cup. 
But they have an X factor, a player very similar to them that's had tremendous success at the club level, Gareth Bale, who can win a game by himself. We've seen him do it before. He seems very motivated to play for Wales. Not so much for his club team, at least in recent years, but he puts on that Welsh jersey and he becomes Superman. That, for me, could be the difference, really, of who's going to win this game and who doesn't, the fine margins that Gareth Bale could provide. How close? What's your prediction of this game? How do you think it's going to play out? Yeah, I think it's going to be a close one. It's hard because you sort of play into the superstitions right now of what's going on, right? Gareth Bale playing for how he plays for Wales, Wales playing at home. You've got like all of the storylines are hard to remove from these games. Like normally on paper, you can look and say who's in better form, which national team, where are the matchups, where are the weaknesses. But this one's a little bit harder just because of the fact that there are these factors with Ukraine that make it hard, right? And part of me is saying, oh, Ukraine going to ultimately fall short on that momentum. But then the other part of me is like, no, they're playing with house money right now. They've got this momentum. They've now got this renewed belief after many of these players who haven't played games in a while were able to go out and batter Scotland with just pure energy, momentum, fight, passion. That against, and, and again, at Hampton Park, a hard place, that uh, a place that's very difficult to play uh, in terms of the atmosphere and, and the pride of playing at home for Scotland. I feel the same about Wales. And I, I, I just... It's it's hard to put that into tactics. It's hard to put that into uh, tangible information that gives Ukraine the edge because I do think Wales are probably a better team, but I, I just can't bet against I can't bet against uh, Ukraine right now and the momentum that they have and the energy that they have. I, I it was everything that I I hoped to see and then ended up seeing uh, like sort of tenfold in the way that they played against Scotland. You got Ukraine. Is it going to go into extra time penalties? You think they're going to win no. in ninety? I think they'll win in ninety. Yeah. Okay, that game kicks off at high noon Eastern time, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific, if you guys want to watch that. And if you're not going to watch it, what are you doing with your life? you got to make as much time as possible. we got some big games here on Sunday. Chuck, we got Heath. I, I assume you're going the same way. You think Ukraine's going to do the business, but but do you think they're going to do it 90 extra time penalties? How do you think they're going to make it happen? I think in 90. I'm, I'm with Heath. I think Ukraine, They after this win, it's like we're back. And now that belief is is stronger than ever. And they also have seen the reaction, not only from the world, but in particular, Ukraine, the Ukrainians. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Ukraine. I'm, you, you can't bet against them at this stage, right? No, you can't. It, there's so many vi- vibes, you know, it's, it's like betting against Real Madrid in the champions league. Well, you know, they again, I go, a better team, but they like, they, they just got the vibes, man. What are you going to do? I go back to again, the euros with, 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 Denmark and the shift and moment they had, you just don't know. And then you see this complete meteoric rise in the team's energy and this belief and this and the global support of, of the team, again, different circumstances, but they kind of had this, even though they don't end up going on to win the tournament, they were still just a completely different dynamic after that moment. And you don't know what's going to happen before they played against Scotland. And then they came out and you saw it happen against Scotland. And you go, wow, like, uh, how do you yeah. how do you how do you bet against that? You know, no, no, you're right. They played nine games so far in this World Cup qualifying campaign, and they've given up nine goals. So I think there's a goal in there for Wales. But uh, after they scored three against Scotland in a must win game for Scotland at Hampton Park, you just you know there's just something. And I think they're going to create some chances. And if they can score first, I think that that scoring first puts a lot of pressure on Wales to try to find a way back into it. Because if Ukraine gets that little bit of belief, they got that scored first, and then Ukraine's like, we can do this. And once a team thinks that they can do it, and you can see it, we can see it happen during the 90 minutes. Like they, they, they think they got this. And when they scored, I confirmed it. it. It does go a long way to going out there and making the plays and being difficult to play against and just having that edge 
that I think Scotland can't replicate because obviously there's bigger things going on for Ukraine than for Scotland. I think the Ukraine are going to win over 90 minutes as well. I could see a 2-1 here for Ukraine. Gareth Bay, I'll give him a consolation goal, but I don't think Wales is going to qualify for this World Cup. And uh, as someone said in the comments, having Ukraine be in there is what sports are all about. The passion, the atmosphere, these special moments. It's just... I wish they were in another group. That's all. I don't, I don't, I just wish they were playing other teams because they're just going to have this momentum that is going to be some ways unstoppable, especially with all the lead up coming into this. All right, boys, before we uh, say adieu on this podcast, any final thoughts from all of you? Or maybe I'll go first because the news just came out that Will Wilson, who was the CEO of US Soccer after two and a half years, has stepped down to pursue other opportunities, which I don't know what you guys think about the timing of that, but uh, maybe he can go out on a high knowing that he he made history with this collective uh, collective bargaining agreement between the U.S. women's and U.S. men's national teams, which I think is a big deal. And it's, I think, going to set precedent around the world, which I think is very, very important for a lot of different reasons. I don't know what he's going to go on to do, but now that spot is open. Now, he only had the job for two and a half years. His predecessor, Dan Flynn, had it for 20 years. And Greg Berhalter's brother, Jay Berhalter, was number three in charge. He wanted that job, didn't end up getting it, stepped down from U.S. soccer, and now is an executive for MLS. I wonder if he's going to throw his name back in the hat to see if he can get the job that he always wanted. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, So that's kind of – I'm just curious. I I feel like there are going to be a lot of qualified people. I just hope that U.S. soccer really opens up the, the job opportunity to a wide ranging people that it, hopefully it's not one of our own because Will Wilson did come. He had some time working for major league soccer and soccer United marketing. And sometimes it would be nice to potentially have somebody who's coming from a different part of the business sphere or sports field and can maybe bring some new blood and some, some new ideas to the job. Uh, Heath, I'll come to you first on this since you're kind of the business expert or you are for CBS sports at times too. Uh, yeah, this one's, this one's shout. I mean, he certainly left it better than he found it, whether that's directly or indirectly, right. For us soccer, getting through the lawsuit, getting a new CBA going, getting a lot of these things that, that were weighing us soccer down and depleting resources for us soccer, which we were yet to see what some of these ramifications are of this new deal in terms of what that means for the youth national teams and, and whatnot. He's obviously still in the position, as you can see, on, if you're watching this uh, on, on YouTube, until the end of October, just prior to the World Cup, which I find really interesting timing-wise. And now the search begins, right? We saw Jay Berhalter. He's currently also at Soccer United Marketing uh, in a role there. So whether he he returns for that is is uh, to be determined. But like you said, there there's probably a number of candidates, diverse candidates of diverse backgrounds that could be helpful. But you still do want... Uh, and you you guys both know what it's like when you're dealing with non-soccer people in the soccer space. That's a little bit niche, a little bit different. You want to have somebody that at least has a diverse background in terms of experiences, but understands mm-hmm. the soccer mm-hmm. landscape, understands the fact that they're going to have to make up that $25 million delta that uh, came with the contract of being part of Soccer United Marketing, leaving that now heading towards 2026. They're going to have to make up all that revenue from from a partnerships and sponsorship standpoint in-house. That's a lot of building that they're going to have to do. So they're going to have to understand that side of things. And then also where we're going, knowing that U.S. soccer was sitting on a pretty healthy reserve that has now been depleted through a number of different things, including the pandemic, or how you're going to build up that, that power of U.S. soccer that doesn't come at the detriment of our youth soccer programs and the development of our young players. There we well, go. Very, very well said. Go ahead, Charlie. What's, what's interesting to me is I think that the whole project is a build up to 2026. And, and why would you want to leave that position knowing that, you know, that the next four years 
are going to be huge. So, you know, it, it's, it's a big job that, is what you're saying. It's a big job. Yeah, one, one thing that you, you have to love, love about what he's been able to do is, you know, he got a, the, the Turner deal. So us soccer rights going to Turner. I think that's going to be massive. Um, and you know, the projects that go into building the programming around us soccer, um, and really trying to educate the, the people in this country about how great our sports, um, how great the sport is, as well as, you know, trying to promote them and trying to promote these, the, the young talent that they have that are eventually going to be playing for us in 2026. And I think, you know, given how our, our, our young players are developing right now, we might have a real, a real chance, a real opportunity to get to a world cup semifinal world cup final. Like that, that's a, that's realistic to me. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy that he was able to t- turn things around, but it's also like, man, why would you leave now? I, like, I know you, you did all these things. Is, is it just because there's so much to do after this? Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of just pat yourself on the back for getting us soccer up and running. And now you're, you're going to make some more, <laughs> some real money. <laughs> right. So let's talk about U.S. soccer. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy around Christian Pulisic's comments after the Morocco game that he wished there were more American fans. Man, that's one out of control, by the way. Yeah, it feels like it has. I, if, I mean, you're, you're talking to somebody right after a game, and he, I think he's just simply saying that I just wish there were more fans wearing the U.S. jersey in the stands. I, I, you know, and I don't think that's, I don't think it's too crazy. It's been spun out of control. Uh, we've had this these conversations before. Obviously, the one where we lost to Costa Rica and World Cup qualifying in New York or more Costa Rican fans. But Michael Bradley, I'll give him a shout out. He had a comment uh, many years ago when he was playing for the U.S. where he basically said, this is part of it. This is part of living in this country. We have diverse cultures and backgrounds in this country. That's what makes this country special. I'm proud to live in this country. And if we have to deal with more fans from another country at one of our home games, so be it. That's part of it. And I'm proud to live here. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's that's I, I'm totally in lockstep with Michael Bradley on that. That's just part of it. And and so I understand he wants a little bit. It's it's a friendly, it's it's there's a lot of things that go into this. The ticket prices are high, r- ridiculously high. That needs to be sorted out. But it's also the Wednesday after Memorial Day, where probably a lot of people spent money to travel and all that. The scheduling wasn't great. So there's a lot of pieces to this, but yes, to your point, Heath, it seems like it's spinning way out of control. Well, it, it, the dynamic of it spun out of control because the presumption and some of the what I think are clickbaity pieces that came out about it were that, oh, you're saying the people who wear Morocco jerseys aren't Americans. Um, and and there's that sort of like gray area that Christian Pulisic has found himself in in the past of sort of politically of just attaching. They've just attached this idea that like, oh, yeah, Christian Pulisic thinks you're only American if you wear an American jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at the stadium. And I think that's not what the saying was. It was it was probably a mix of the fact that the game probably, I don't know if it was well marketed or not. I think it was 20,000 out of the 26,000 that could potentially be sold. So there was a solid attendance. You, the three of us have all played in stadiums with far less fans in them for the national team, um, knowing that, you know, you're probably not going to get a gigantic draw against Granada. Uh, but this is one where, again, there's discuss- the discussion about markets that they play in a lot of teams a lot of national teams will play in a national stadium over and over again obviously that's hard to do in the u.s because you're trying to build the sport and you're a massive country which rules out 90 percent of the population and so 
there's also the conversation about the the price gouging, so to speak. You know, what's the cost? Is the barrier of entry prohibitive for the average fan or a new fan or somebody who wants to be able to experience a national team game? Is that too high uh, in terms of reaching new audiences? And then, like I said, the conversation around what is what is American, which I think is was lost in translation in all of this, and more Christian Pulisic saying there wasn't enough probably butts in the seats, and and we'd like to see more more of a, a turnout considering this team is heading towards a World Cup soon, and this is sort of that send off series right now. A hundred percent. Now, Charlie, before I, I go to you, and I want to get your thoughts on this. A hundred percent. I think that. What I love about his comments in some capacity, the silver lining is it is putting U.S. soccer under the spotlight. I don't think Christian Pulisic had any intention to, to, to do that per se. I just think he wanted more U.S. fans in the seats. But, but it's allowed us to have a conversation offline or online or wherever, just off the field, about the price. Because from what I understand, if you went to a game in Cincinnati, maybe you're a family of four. You got $300 for tickets. You have, what, $50, $60 for parking. Gas obviously is astronomical right now, so it's it's costing you four or five hundred dollars on a weeknight when kids have school. It's just it's I a lot. Be, I and, wouldn't and be able you, to go as a kid. I can tell you that. In my yeah, hundred percent. Oh, we could go to any world. I didn't have cable, guys. I wasn't catching the game. Period. Well, that's, that's true. Like, right? that's you have to hear about it. Yeah. it's it's just so so. They had to have known that going in, and so. Now there's obviously some talk that with this new CBA that there's like a new sellout clause. If they sell out, then the players get more money. I don't even know if Pulisic was going that route, which would be super funny. He was like, dude, why isn't everybody here? I want to make some more cheddar. But but I just feel like it has to put that under the microscope a little bit because when I look at the prices, or at least what I heard and saw for the Mexico-Uruguay game in Phoenix, those prices were a lot more affordable because they probably take into consideration that if they want these fans to show up, they might not have the same amount. Like it has to be a reasonable price, and it just feels like right now U.S. soccer is pricing out a lot of fans that would love to come but just can't afford it. Chuck, facts. <laughs> That's all I have to say. So, so. I, it, I I wonder what the 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 play is moving forward, and maybe that's why Will Wilson stepped down. He's like, you know what, I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to get into to all of this. But if you're U.S. soccer, let's say this hypothetically, and then we'll let everybody go. I know this is like a hot topic, but but Heath, I'm going to come to you on this. How does U.S. soccer address this moving forward? Or there's a lot of fans out there that think that U.S. soccer just doesn't care. And, and I don't think it's that. I just feel like there's a disconnect between reality at times um, in, in some of the decisions that are being made. Or maybe there's too many cooks in the kitchen and there's too many people trying to chime in on it and nothing gets done and it gets paralyzed in some ways. What are your thoughts on how U.S. soccer? Because I feel like there should be a game where like tickets are super affordable. And we even look at Villarreal versus Liverpool in the Champions League semifinals. Like Villarreal made ticket prices affordable so that the whole city could have a chance to come. Yeah. I mean, a one-off like that is different than trying to build sustained rights revenue sources for the U.S. Now, they just signed a brand new collective bargaining agreement that's paying them quite a bit of money. That money has to come from somewhere, right? That could come from sponsorships, that can come from TV deals, that can come from merchandise sales and things like that. That can come from that can come from uh, ticket sales uh, in stadium, which means all of that put together, there is, I promise you, spreadsheets at US Soccer where they're looking at what is the kind of what we're tracking on from a revenue standpoint yeah. and what we need to be able to be sustainable as 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 an organization. And that's probably where you're seeing this flex on ticket prices because, again, they've got to start moving towards being more sustainable in-house. They've depleted most of their resources. I'm not saying that's why they've got prices at that point, but it all comes down to how all those numbers come together into being like, 
well, how do we pay the players? How do we pay our staff? How do we, how do we, you know, afford being one of the best run organizations or on in theory, best run organizations in the world uh, in terms of, of a federation. And so there's a lot that goes into it, but I, certainly in terms of building fans and building the sport and growing the sport, I do think that there's a responsibility to make the ticket prices in some way more affordable for fans because you're ruling out a number of fans like the three of us who would have never gotten a chance to experience the national no team and fall in love with the national team and become a lifelong consumer or supporter in the way that we are now. Obviously, our experiences were in differently. You're, you're, you're missing out on an, an potentially an entire generation uh, of, of people that are now opening their eyes and more interested that you're going to want to consume come 2026. The, the one last thing I would add to that is this game is supposed to be inclusive. And when you price people out, that makes it exclusive. And I think that needs to be addressed by U.S. soccer. And I hope that it gets done very, very soon. I hope they look at some of their practices and, and make some adjustments accordingly. All right, everybody, we are done with In Soccer We Trust for today. We appreciate all of your support. Thank you for all the likes and subscribes and anywhere you follow us. Make sure you hit us up on Twitter, ISWT Pod, so you have a chance to win that $100 gift card from Paramount+. Plus. And we will see you on Sunday live right after the game ends between the U.S. men's national team and Uruguay. So on behalf of producer Des, producer Alex, Charlie Davies, and Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Conrad saying thank you for listening and watching In Soccer We Trust. And we'll see you next time. Later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.